Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Ian Mortimer, Portfolio Manager of the Guinness Global Equity Income Fund. Prior to joining Guinness in 2006, Ian completed a Doctor of Philosophy in Experimental Physics at Christchurch University of Oxford. Ian had previously graduated from University College London with a first-class honours master's degree in physics in 2003. He has completed the Investment Management Certificate and is a Level 2 candidate in the CFA programme. He's also a Portfolio Manager of the Guinness Global Innovators Fund. So first of all, a very warm welcome to you, Ian, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. So the Guinness Global Equity Income, no doubt some of the uh, answer is in the title, but could you just briefly talk us through the objectives and indeed the approach of the fund, please? Yeah, so the Guinness Global Equity Income Fund, as the name suggests, it's a fund that invests globally in businesses that pay dividends, ultimately. And our approach is that we believe there's good evidence to suggest that investing in dividend-paying companies over the longer term can outperform the broader market. But when we look more closely at that, we find that not all dividend-paying companies are created equally. Um, in that, really, if you have companies that pay a flat dividend over time, they do about the same as the market. If you have companies that cut their dividend over a period, they tend to do very badly. And it's those companies that successfully grow their dividend over time that actually drive the overall outperformance of the wider group of dividend-paying businesses. So what we're trying to do is focus in on and identify those companies we believe have the best chance of growing their dividend successfully over a longer period. Uh, And to do that, we think that looking at companies with very high quality characteristics, things like return on capital, balance sheet strength, and ultimately the size of the starting dividend yield is the best way to achieve that. So what we're trying to create is a portfolio of high quality businesses that can weather most economic storms, um, that are well placed to not only continue to pay their dividend regardless, but to be able to grow it successfully as well. Uh, And we put all of that together in a high conviction, 35 stock, equally weighted portfolio. And with those factors in mind, what, what does the geographical and indeed the sector weightings look like across the fund? In terms of, from a regional perspective, we take that first. Um, We actually have about just over half the portfolio in North America. So this is a little bit underweight, the broad benchmark, which probably is around 70% uh, weighted towards the US because of significant outperformance we've seen over the, the most recent period. The rest of the portfolio is then more heavily weighted towards the UK and Europe. Um, We have about uh, a 6% weighting to uh, Asia Pacific, uh, and that also includes emerging markets like Taiwan, for example. And I think the fact that we have a a pretty decent weight to North America, which is an area that typically doesn't pay high dividends because they're often focused on buybacks instead, is our moderate yield approach, but growing dividends focus allows us to get good access to areas such as North America. From a sector point of view, not unsurprisingly, we have high weights to areas such as consumer staples and healthcare. Those two areas make up approximately a bit under half our portfolio, so the kind of more classic quality defensive areas. However, that is balanced by high exposures to areas such as industrials, which is about 19% of our portfolio, information technology, which is about 18%, uh, and also the financial sector. We don't own any banks, but we do have exposure to things like asset management groups, exchanges, uh, and and the insurance sector. 
Areas where we have very little exposure or no exposure to would be very regulated areas such as utilities and real estate and very cyclical areas such as energy and materials. Okay, and to put some colour on that, in, in terms of your top holdings or top positions, could you perhaps talk us through one of one or two of those particular stocks? Yeah, I mean, interestingly, like many, in fact, all of Guinness Global Investors' portfolios, we're on an equally weighted portfolio. So we don't tend to have sort of top holdings in the sense of our highest conviction. Um, we actually have approximately 3% in each of our 35 holdings. But I think to give you a sort of a flavour of what we're looking at is that you know, we, we certainly own, as I say, companies in the more sort of defensive areas, things like the Nestle's of this world, the sort of consumer staple type businesses, companies such as Unilever and Procter and Gamble would, would fit into that same grouping in terms of high quality businesses that have very strong market positions and are very robust in the sense of their cash flows are linked to products that generally speaking, people sort of need to buy if you like, and therefore that allows them to pay those those steady dividends over time. However, we also, as I I mentioned earlier, own other companies that are in more cyclical areas. So we see these more cyclical companies as being kind of better than their their peers, if you like, in the sense that these are what we describe as quality cyclical. So businesses that are in cyclical areas like industrials, things like Illinois Toolworks in the States, which is a multi-industrial, they have exposure to catering and automotive sectors, for example. Businesses that are exposed to economic sensitivity, if you like, but are those businesses that maintain better margins than their competitors, businesses that have very strong balance sheets that allows them to either provide better products that provides those higher margins um, or a better sort of fundamental structure and sense of their financials that allows them to weather difficult periods such as the pandemic, for example, through 2020. Um, We also own companies like BlackRock uh, in the asset management space, again, would be considered much more cyclical, but businesses that you know, actually have very, very high margins that are growing quite successfully. And that growth in terms of their cash flows and earnings is really filtering through into very significant growth in the dividend distributions that these companies can pay. BlackRock, for example, I think grew their dividend just under 20% this year, for example. And I think that hopefully gives a bit of a flavour of that, although we are an equity income portfolio and we do have exposure to defensive areas like consumer staples and healthcare, we also have good exposure to, as I say, these more quality cyclicals. And I think that balance in the portfolio is what helps us provide not just the, the strong dividend growth we're seeking, but businesses that can do well in different economic environments, if you like, and therefore maybe some of the more cyclical areas can perform well if we're seeing very positive economic environment, as well as more defensive areas that maybe can protect a bit more on the downside if, if things turn. You mentioned the pandemic in that answer, and obviously we've had a quite extraordinary last couple of years or so. Did you find that the volatility during that period, not to mention the fact that companies were cutting dividends, made the search for income a great deal harder around that sort of time? Yeah, I mean, you're dead right. It was a, um, you know, through the 2020 periods, it was a very, very difficult time for, for dividends broadly. I think we saw significant cuts at the index level in particularly in the UK and Europe, we're seeing sort of 30, 40, potentially 50% cuts from the distributions that we'd seen. And, and those distributions have not yet come back fully um, to pre-pandemic levels. From our perspective, we were extremely pleased with how well the fund performed through that period. 
from a dividend perspective. So we'd always designed uh, the fund, as I think I mentioned at the beginning, to try and buy uh, identify companies that were not only themselves robust, but but therefore were in a position that even in difficult periods that they could continue to pay and ideally grow their dividend over time. And when we look back over the 2020 period, of our 35 companies, we had no companies completely cancel or suspend their dividend at all. Uh, we only had one company that reduced their dividend. Uh, I think six of our companies paid a flat dividend. And therefore, the vast majority, I think it was uh, around 28 companies, actually grew their dividend through 2020. Um, so completely different to what we were seeing in the market as a whole. And I think that was really you know, a strong indicator that our approach looking for these high quality businesses that have at least historically weathered uh, economic storms, put them in very good stead for a period that was as extreme as the pandemic. What we've then seen is those companies continue to then uh, grow their, their distributions in 2021. And so if we compare, for example, the fund distribution in 2021 last year versus 2019, the pre-pandemic level, it's it's much, much higher than, we've, than the equivalent analysis for whether it's the MSCI world or Europe or UK, um, because you know the, the companies we've owned kind of sailed through, if you like, from that perspective, the pandemic period. And so far this year, in 2022, we continue to see sort of dividends of the companies we're owning surprised to the upside. So I think we've had about half our portfolio companies announce their kind of dividend action for 2022. And again, the, we've had only two companies out of 17 pay a flat dividend. The other 15 that we've seen announce what they're going to do have grown. And of those companies that have grown their dividends, they're growing it on average just under 8%. Um, so actually, you know, we're really quite positive, I think, from the, the dividend growth perspective in terms of what we're seeing with the companies we're holding. And I guess we're up against different challenges now. And by that, I mean, how important is the uh, ability of companies to sustain those dividends and in, in some cases grow them as well? How important are those factors becoming given the current, not only uh, historically low interest rate backdrop, but also, of course, the uh, fairly rampant inflation levels that we're seeing at the moment? Yeah, and I think you know, if, you, if you look at what's been rewarded this year, I think a bright spot has been dividend paying equities, in fact. So if you look through Q1 of this year, most fixed income markets were in negative territory. Most equity markets, again, were also in negative territory. But actually, some of the higher yielding, in particular, um, dividend paying stocks have performed very well. And if we think about why that's the case, I think, you know, in, in broad terms, if you look at 2020, uh, market returns uh, were really driven by multiple expansion. So generally speaking, earnings were negative, uh, and it was all about the market looking through um, those negative earnings going forward and, and, and re-rating businesses from the lows we saw in the pandemic. In 2021, it was all about earnings growth. Can you show earnings growth? Uh, and in fact, alongside that, you saw multiple contraction because the market was now expecting maybe slower economic growth. Um, and, and clearly, we saw a lot of deratings, particularly in the in the tech space. As we went into 2022, then, we were maybe in a scenario where expectations for, for multiples were probably continuing to contract. Expectations for earnings were actually much more modest. I think we saw you know, the, the inflationary pressures and the backdrop of, generally speaking, slower economic growth, which has now been exacerbated by um, you know, the, the issues we're seeing in, in, in the fallout from Russia and Ukraine. And therefore, dividends may actually become a much greater proportion uh, of your total return uh, in 2022 and beyond 
if your expectation is that you know, earnings growth is slower and multiples are generally like less likely to grow, that makes it very important. So if you were, you know, in very simple terms, trying to get a sort of you know, an eight percent return, say, maybe you could get a small proportion of that from you know, earnings growth. If you if you look in the right areas, you're you're unlikely to get a big proportion from multiple expansion overall. But if you can pick up a decent dividend yield alongside, then actually that that's what can you know, add up into that that total return. And from an inflationary point of view, over long periods, dividend growth actually correlates very highly with inflation. Um, so if you're taking a more long term view, often these types of companies can pass on cost, can continue to grow their dividend over time and, and i think that's an important factor that, that market participants are, are looking at quite closely at the moment too and so with that in mind you've eloquently described three different kind of market perspectives over three different years so with that in mind what's your kind of outlook from from here will it need uh, any change in positioning or will this just continue to be uh, certain macro factors that you continue to look out for yeah i mean i would you know we we don't have a you know a crystal ball, and generally speaking, we're focusing on you know sort of bottom up stock selection. But I think you know the in broad terms, I think the the issues that the market was worried about as we entered twenty twenty two have generally got sort of worse in in many cases. So you know the inflationary environment that we were witnessing, obviously not transitory now, very clearly appears to be continuing to to rise and. As I say, the issues around supply chains and, generally speaking, commodity cost pressures have exacerbated that problem. I think the issues around market valuations remain stretched relative to history. And I think the argument supporting that in terms of the sort of quantitative easing and low rate environment is changing. So therefore, that maybe is a slightly higher risk, potentially. And then issues around potentially slowing economic growth due to a multitude of factors, again, particularly in Europe, is is probably more prominently an an issue now. And I think what we've seen latterly in in the the first few weeks of the second quarter has been maybe a market shift from worried around stagflation, inflation and slower growth, to recession, question mark. And I think that's been uh, very supportive of more defensive areas of the market, such as healthcare and consumer staples, who are much more strongly relative uh, in the last few weeks. And I think if you sort of add all of that together, um, you know, they remain the issues that we're concerned about. Um, but we believe our approach of these quality businesses and a, a, a relatively well diversified portfolio exposed to both more defensive areas, but some more quality cyclicals, I think it is a sensible approach. And I think a, a focus on dividend paying companies within this type of environment is actually, again, a, ver- a very sensible one. And I, and I think something that's on a relative basis has been more rewarded by the market, particularly if we compare back to you know the last, say, five, six, seven years, where it's really been very much sort of growth focused and, and particularly on the IT space. And, and that seems to have, have changed somewhat. So we're not saying that we definitely know this is what's going to happen in the future, but I think that approach of, of kind of quality dividend paying businesses is, is quite a sensible one for the current market environment. Sure. And finally, just on the uh, technology front there that you mentioned, traditionally, obviously not uh, large dividend payers, particularly in the earlier stages of their development as they're looking to reinvest profits into the business rather than return anything to shareholders. Is, is that a difficult sector to find quality uh, income paying stocks? I think it depends on your desire for the level of yield you require. 
So I think you know if if you have a, a an approach where you would really like a, a high dividend yield, then then yes, absolutely, the the IT space is it, it would be challenging to to find high dividend payers for as you say because companies are focused on growth and reinvesting in their business. Now, if you take a more moderate yield approach as we do, then actually we see quite good opportunities in this area. You know, we, we've held uh, Microsoft, for example, since we launched the fund back in 2010. So that's been a stellar performer for us and you know, has all the benefits of, that we can describe. We also in companies like Cisco, again, a company that you know, only started to pay a dividend probably about uh, nine or 10 years ago as it shifted from a kind of a growth, more kind of growth orientated business to paying back those excess cash flows. There's also other companies you know, in the, the semiconductor space. Taiwan Semiconductor is a good example or Broadcom, for example. Different businesses, but businesses that you know have that ability to distribute those excess cash flows and often can grow their dividend quite significantly. So I think if you take that more moderate yield approach, I think then actually it can offer a very good opportunity set um, and a good combination of both capital growth from the businesses themselves growing, maybe at a more modest rate than your kind of more speculative tech end of the spectrum, but also with that dividend, which itself then can grow as well alongside the business. And I think that combination can be um, quite a healthy one to have in a portfolio. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for the moment. So many thanks again for your time, Ian, for those valuable insights. That's Dr. Ian Mortimer, Portfolio Manager of the Guinness Global Equity Income Fund. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back soon with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.